The sermon today is based on the reading from Mark chapter 7. Jesus called to the people again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Don't you guys see? This is great. You're standing so I can bless you. (laughs) Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Just follow your heart. We've all heard it. Nate, you've probably seen it on a poster in the high school, probably the junior high. Just follow your heart. Probably the worst advice that's ever been given outside of what psychology today says is the worst advice ever to be given. Just be yourself. But they're both similar sentiments. If I just do what I feel, especially in my heart, everything will be okay, and it must be right. Wrong. Jeremiah 17, what does it say? It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's distorted with original sin. The heart says, no one will notice If I just steal one, and besides, it's for my benefit. The heart says, no one will see what I look up on the private tab on my own cell phone. The heart says, I feel like he loves me, and I don't feel that way with my husband. And that's why the scriptures are clear. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do, flows from it. Proverbs 4.23. So simple, so clear. This was the theme verse of a men's retreat that I did with my father-in-law, where they talked about how the Lord desires a clean heart to be in his presence. But as Jesus tells us today, it's so super easy to make it dirty. I think actually in the ESV today, it says defile, so easy to defile the heart. Yet we earnestly ask each Sunday with David the psalmist right before communion, we say, create in me a clean heart, O God. It's our prayer. Now you may ask yourself, why in the world is pastor talking about hearts when the reading is obviously about stomachs, intestines, the mouth? And uh, the GI tract, as Jesus describes it very simply. 
Well, I think it's super easy to hear or read the gospel lesson and just have it whiz right by you. It'll go right over your head. When Jesus is talking about stuff from outside that can defile you, he's literally talking about food. And I, I think it's almost silly when we read it today because he really is talking about how food can't defile you. Pork, shellfish, mixed meat, that kind of thing. He calls them all clean. And his reasoning is interesting, though. He says that it's clean because food goes in the mouth, goes into the stomach, and then it leaves somehow. He isn't, he isn't too specific. But his point is that it bypasses your heart. It doesn't go through your heart. It isn't digested by your heart. What does this mean? It means that there's a whole host of stuff that does enter your heart, that can mess with it let alone the fallen and sinful nature of your human heart that desires to do evil. Jesus goes on to say that all of our sinful actions, they come right out of the heart, that it's a dangerous thing, that these wicked things actually pollute our heart, as it says, I think, in the NIV. Therefore, the only way to stop this pollution is to cut it off at the source. There's no carbon tax here. Jesus cleans hearts. It's the only way to get a clean heart, for Jesus to clean it for you. He washes you clean with his words, with his forgiveness of sins in baptism. When we repent, and each and every time we repent, which means to confess your sins and to change your behavior to be in line with Jesus' way. But Jesus has ascended into heaven. Therefore, he now speaks those words of forgiveness publicly through me in the beginning of service, when I possibly baptize someone in the near future, when I give you communion, when I preach the word like right now. But also, Jesus leaves behind you guys, Christians, priesthoods, or sorry, priests, to forgive each other's sins, to forgive the sins of those at work, at the senior center, at school, to say, I forgive you. And the person to say, oh, whoa, no one says that anymore. Do you see how easily this becomes the opposite, though? Jesus gives a whole litany, and people say, oh, Jesus isn't a second Moses. Well, let me tell you, that's one of his types. Jesus gives a whole list. One of them was those ways that you can pollute your heart is to slander. If people are, say, slandering pastor at church, all it takes is one person to say, stop. What are you doing? That doesn't sound like something pastor would say or do. And then not passing it along. Encouraging the person to speak to pastor instead. Plug in pastor with boss. Plug in pastor with your best friend that you sit with at the lunch table. It's that easy. You should instead talk to the person. Unite the people. Have them reconcile with words of forgiveness. Don't spread it to those that aren't involved. 
And then we can speak words of reconciliation to each other and wash each other clean. Reconciliation. But let's return to guarding your heart. There's lots of stuff begging to enter your heart and to escape through your heart once they've done their work. Do you ever find yourself mindlessly, endlessly scrolling through your phone, your computer, your tablet? Have you ever wondered or remembered, man, websites didn't used to just keep on going like this in the 90s or the early 2000s. Whoa, is this a slot machine? It just keeps going. I can't stand up. It's been an hour. It's been an hour and a half. I think this is part of what Jesus was teaching about. When you eat food, you don't have to focus on, let alone worry, about the food getting digested and passed through. Your body takes care of it on its own. But to guard your heart, now that takes discipline. Now, in your life, is every thought captive to Jesus Christ? Are you weighing each thought that enters and deciding if that honors Christ and builds up the church? You can. If not, those endless and restless, anxious thoughts will possess you and drive you. This demon-summoning portal in your pocket, it's drawing your attention away from God's word, his truth for your life. It's drawing you away from the relationships around you, service to your friends, your family, your neighbor, your enemies, reconciliation. It's an evil that wants to commune with you, to commune with you so that you are not constantly thinking of and being aware of the gracious presence of Christ Jesus. It wants you to be spending your time degrading yourself in private. It wants to spend your time degrading your heart, your relationships, and pointing away from Jesus. And this is why Paul speaks to you and urges you today in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God and to stand firm in his strength, to stand firm in his might, to stand against the schemes of the devil, as he puts it. He reframes our battle. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood or rulers of this world. No, we're fighting against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, a reality, sin, death, the devil, his angels, which we call demons. They really do surround us. They surround you. They torture you in your daily struggle with anxiety, depression, sinful thoughts and desires, laziness, avoiding reconciliation, gossip. They're flaming darts from the evil one, whom we pray for protection against in the Lord's Prayer. Spiritual warfare, as you may have heard. Now, the mistake is to make this an individual battle. You know, when I was trying to look for things to put on the cover of today's bulletin, we found a pretty cool one. It's a diagram. It explains all of this if uh, you didn't get it. I wanted to find some, some kind of armor thing. And then I realized, no, it's all pictures of soul knights, knights by themselves, 
Knights trying to do it themselves alone. And I don't think that's a good image because it's not what Paul's talking about. No. Instead, you know, don't even think about yourself wearing this armor, holding this sword when you hear this scripture. Don't think about yourself leading the charge. Even as a strong Christian, like I know you all are, No, the one leading the charge is Jesus Christ. That's the full picture that we get in Revelation. Jesus Christ, the prince who will become the king, the once and future king. Jesus Christ. When we confess that he descended into hell, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, but we did it today. It's not necessarily part of Jesus' humiliation of dying. It's part of his victory. He rides down to hell on his white horse and pronounces victory over sin. His, he pronounces victory over his death, death of anyone who believes in him. And he rides to victory over evil and, his, and the devil's demons. And he rises again. He ascends into heaven and is waiting to return on that white horse on the last day. To finish off any final skirmish that may be going on around us as we hold our swords and go. Behind Jesus leading and taking the charge stands his church. You guys, shoulder to shoulder. You are wearing the armor that he gave you. Your faith in his victory for you. In him that you would have eternal life. This is the church. This is what Paul is describing in unity. Us worshiping God, hearing and sharing his word, sharing reconciliation with our worst enemies, trusting his promises, standing firm, not charging, not attacking. Do you guys ever play Red Rover in like grade school? Everyone, give me a nod if you know what I'm talking about. Red Rover. So you stand in a line. It's actually, I wish I could see this happen more often because I do have distinct memories of it. But you all stand in a line and you kind of like hold arms or you put your arms over each other's shoulders. And then you send the other team against your line and they run into your arms. It basically... Like, I, I swear, like, teachers made this up to get a laugh because you're, it's just kids getting clotheslined, just, just falling. And anyways, I just wanted to point you guys to the funeral that happened on Wednesday. I was so proud of you. I was so proud of us as a church. In the face of anger, sadness, and death, I really did see us all stand in a big red rover line. Christian community. And I saw us trusting in the promises of eternal life from our Savior Jesus. And I saw death, the devil, just get clotheslined like a six-year-old running into his friend's arms that wouldn't let him through. God bless you all. And so I think that's something that we ought to do each week, each day of the week. When we, you see, when we sing the offertory, when we say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, 
Cast me not away from your presence, but take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You have, at this point, you've already confessed your sins. You've been forgiven by pastor. Um, you've, you've, you know, at this point, you're hearing a sermon. And maybe it's drummed up some feelings and reflections in your hearts of new things that you realize you are guilty for, you are guilty about. And it's good right and it's salutary to confess those sins in your heart before God so that he can create in you a clean heart before you take communion. Because just like that evil wants to commune with you and take your time away from focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, take your time away from relationships, take your time away from having needful conversation with your kids, prayer with your kids before dinner, the Lord Jesus wants to commune with you also but not to distract you, but to come into direct contact with your heart, clean or not, to blow it away, to power wash any sinfulness that may remain in you, and to give you his forgiveness of sins. The divine service, it teaches you to go and do likewise, right? to go into the world, to go into your unique roles, to wear the full armor of God with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, by the way, to forgive the sins of others, to hear their problems and confusions, and to be Jesus to them. And what does that mean to be Jesus to someone else? It means to forgive their sins when they ask. And to point them to, maybe I do need to confess my sins. Maybe that's why I feel bad, and to forgive them. When you saturate yourself with God's word, because I know this sounds scary, that you can't always ask pastor to come and talk to that person at work, or ask pastor to go and visit that person that you know needs to hear a spiritual conversation. When you saturate yourself with God's word every day, you begin to sweat it out of your pores. People notice you're different. Because whether you realize it or not, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the world. You are a Christian. You witness the very light of Christ before the world in places that I can't go. Your family, your friends, your acquaintances at work need to hear you and your witness of Jesus Christ. It's not pastor's job all the time. Sometimes you're entrusted to be someone's wife, to be someone's husband, father, mother, friend, work associate, servant, boss. The spirit which called you by the gospel is using you to point to Jesus. To point to Jesus that you know up to this point through his study of his word. You can do it. I believe in you. Because you have the armor. You have the sword. You have the clean heart. Amen.